you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. All right. Life After Addiction. I'm Adam Comer, and today I have a very special guest in studio, my lovely wife, Miss Katie Comer. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting enough, guys, here's what we, we've done. So the kids are put to bed, uh, and we decided, hey, you know what? Let's record an episode. Let's talk about, Katie, let's talk about what you went through through my addiction, the things that you felt, the thing, the emotions, the thoughts, the resources you tried to find, the feelings you were having while I was in rehab, but also the feelings you were having before you even knew I had an addiction, but you knew something was wrong. So we agreed. We're like, yeah, let's go record that. So we got the baby monitor and we came out, to, came to the studio, which with technology, a studio is not hard to have nowadays. But uh, so we're going to do it. Let's do it. Katie, lead us in here. Tell us, tell the people a little bit about your story, your background, how you grew up, those kind of things. Well, I'm super excited about being here and just sharing my story with you all. And, um, you know, for me... Um, this was so foreign, the idea of addiction. I had zero idea what that even was, and I'll get to that here in a little bit. But essentially, I grew up in um, a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. Or you were it, a PK, huh? Yeah, um, he is still a pastor. A but preacher's kid. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so I would consider myself kind of naive to the world a little bit, you know, and I, I mean, I was sheltered, but not in a negative way. I yeah. mean, I definitely lived my life, but I just didn't have a lot of the negative stuff around me growing up. I, you know, the cool thing, the popular thing in school was to be actually good. Yeah. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of drugs. There wasn't a lot of alcohol in the group that I ran around with. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't really exposed to the evils of the world. I definitely was not, yeah. and not even in college. So... You know, I, when I knew you, I, you know, we were high school sweethearts. And so. Tell the people. Yeah. Hold on, hold on now. Tell the people about your husband. Well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the good. No. Okay. Um, no, but in all seriousness, you know, Adam, he was the life of the party. I mean, still is, but he, in high school, everybody loved Adam very popular. And that's who I fell in love with. I fell in love with somebody who um, loved life, loved me, treated me like um, a princess. And that's who I fell in love with. Um, we did go our separate ways in college, yeah. um, but we found our way back to each other after college. And after a few years, um, he pursued me and we dated again and we got married I thought everything was so great. We were um, in love. We had our apartment. We had bills. We were adulting. And life was great. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like stuff started to be a little off. Yeah. And to be quite honest, the first thing I noticed was the way that he treated me. Like, not that it was terrible, but it was just not like I was his first priority. Yeah. And I started noticing that. Um, a big thing that was off was our finances. We struggled to make ends meet. And 
we were dinks at the time, which is dual income with no kids in that. Dinks. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> dinks. Is that is that what you just said? Where is that a thing? Is that what people say? Yeah. Oh, all right. At least I do. All right. Life after addiction audience. Now we're <laughs> learning things. Maybe I'm the only one that dinks. I didn't know that. So, so anyway, I, I mean, I feel like we should have been able to pay our bills, but I noticed quickly that that wasn't happening. And slowly and surely his check started, you know, becoming less and less. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, I just felt like something was off. He wouldn't come home a lot at night or at, le- at least not at a decent hour to where we were having good quality time. He wouldn't let me see his phone a lot. Yeah, yeah. He was very secretive. I couldn't really look at his phone. Anyway, so I just thought, you know, gosh, my mind went in so many different places. But I remember one night I came home and I just was like, you know what, Adam? I just really need you to be honest with me about what's going on. And I confronted you because I thought you were having an affair. Yeah. And I remember when you asked me that, I just remember just kind of how that broke me in in a way that was like, I don't know. I mean, obviously I wasn't living right and my mind wasn't in a good place, but, um, just hearing those words to like, cause that's not what I was doing, you know? And it was, it was pretty shocking. Yeah. So, um, I did, I confronted him and this point blank, I said, you know what, we can work through whatever it is. Cause in my mind I thought, I mean, I never thought that he would, but all of those signs kept pointing to something like he was hiding something. Yeah. And so I asked him if he was having an affair, and he said no. And then a few days later, he was sitting on the bed. I I mean, it was so vivid, like the memory is so vivid. But he was sitting on the bed, and he said, hey, I need to tell you something. And I was like, here it is. Okay, we can work through it. Um, And he said, you know, I have been hiding something from you, and I am struggling with pain medicine and getting off pain medicine. Yeah. I don't know if you use the word addiction or not, but maybe you did. But anyway, I, my, my brain's like, okay, easy enough. This is something we can deal with. Let's just throw away all the pain medicine, (laughs) flush them down the toilet. We're good. Yeah. And I mean, that's honestly what I thought was going to cure it. And okay, I'll just watch him. Yeah. And just make sure that he doesn't take anything. Yeah, you just didn't know anything about the that that world about addiction. You, yeah, Nothing. so you didn't know anything about it. So I noticed that some of those symptoms or habits continued, and so obviously I knew it was deeper than just flushing him down the toilet. So he went to um, a secular rehab and like a thirty day program, I guess, and he went there and. For all I know, he was following the steps. I was in the doors every single day that I could be. Yeah, you were there every time you were allowed to visit, every time any kind of counseling, you were there. The doors were open and you were allowed to be there. You were there. I was. And I was very supportive, uh, the best I could be. And we, uh, he got out and I thought that he was... Completely healed from cured. As long as you go to your twelve step meetings and you do this, 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 and this, then you can follow all this stuff. He is good, and he wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. 
I mean, he says the day after he got out, right? I mean, yeah, I remember this. You had, you were so encouraged. And man, this, this is, we're, we're far enough removed to where we could talk about this. Yeah, but I for mean, sure. it's still pretty, it's still pretty, just the things that I did is still pretty. And I remember you had, you were so excited. And, and there were some more rehab trips in between, you know, some outpatients and some other things that didn't work out. But I remember this one specifically there every time the doors were open. So supportive, so encouraged. Family days. Family days. I knew what to say. I was speaking the lingo, and you you just had hope. And I remember you planned a trip yeah. to Gatlinburg. Yeah, we right? had a cabin, yeah. And we we weren't leaving that day, I think, or we were leaving the next day. And, yeah, I went and got some stuff to take up to that trip. Yeah. The day I got out. Yeah. And isn't I had that, no idea. That? And so, yeah, so I had no idea yeah. that that was happening. You know, but... What's dark was, is going to come into the light. And yeah. you say that often and it surely did. Yeah. And it, um, it really did. I feel like every time that that happened, you got deeper, deeper into it. Yeah, for be- sure. I'm, and a, this is kind of a common thread. Most people have gone through a long period, you know, of addiction. It's like the next time, the, the relapse, the, when you get back out there, things spiral so much faster. Yeah. Uh, and I can explain that. I, the reason I think it spirals faster is because the people that love you and trust you and are easy to steal from and manipulate are no longer there. They no longer are willing that those people don't trust you anymore. And so do- doors are locked, purses are guarded. And so you have to take higher risk to get the money, higher risk to get the drugs. And so legal problems spiral faster and just spiral so much faster when you're, when you're the second, third, fourth time. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, he got deeper and deeper into it. And I remember specifically um, one time and th- this time was so raw and real. When I when I go back and like think of my story and, my, and I write my story down, this is the one moment that I think was like a pinnacle for me yeah. to realize how bad it was and um, it was so sad. I just remember that we owed our car note mm. um, to pay it, and this guy was calling me. He was like, I mean, we we're about to get repoed. Yeah. And I remember him calling me and saying, Miss Comer, you have got to get here with your money to pay this note, or we're going to be coming and repoing your car. Yeah, and I had told you that I yeah. already paid it. You yeah. had told me you'd already paid it, and I was like, I'm sorry, you need to, you need to check your your books because I'm pretty sure my husband has paid that. <laughs> yeah. Just, and it just made you look like a fool. Oh man. Yeah. And he was like, and in that moment I can still hear his voice in that moment. I think he knew that there was something going on oh, yeah. in a marriage. Yeah. And so that was embarrassing for me, but sure. he goes, he goes, Miss Comer, I'm so sorry, but your husband did not come to pay that note. Mm. And I said, okay, and I hung up and I think I had a panic attack. Mm. It's my only panic attack. Um, one and only panic attack I believe I've ever had. Well, that's probably up for debate. No, I'm just <laughs> just, okay. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, so, but for real, um, that I can recognize. I'm just kidding. Okay. We're even. Fair enough. All right. And so anyway, I just knew at that moment my life had changed, that my husband was so far into this that... You know, he needed something 
more than me, something more than any of the rehabs that he's gone to. And I knew something had to change. Yeah, yeah. So that's when I decided I needed to remove myself from the situation. And in this case, it was the marriage. Yeah, and that's a hard thing. Like here, here, And so, again, we've been married 10 years. You'll hear us cut up with each other. Yeah. But we've actually been dating probably 20 years, you yeah. know, close to it. Yeah. So we, we'll, we'll, uh, we've had these conversations. And what's so interesting about this, um, her separating, her leaving, is because for so long, Katie, you, you protected me. And you, you, it was terrifying for the family, for friends, for church, for your work, for any of that to know that, man, our marriage was on the rocks and Adam has a problem. And so for you to leave was drawing a line in the sand. Yeah. And that, yeah. So yeah, I removed myself from the situation and I felt like that was the healthiest thing for me. And I knew in my heart that it was going to be you know, make it or break it for Adam. And he can no longer rely on me and no longer manipulate me into believing whatever lies he was telling at the time. And so I said, figure this out. And I don't know if I'm going to be here. Yeah. I remember that day. Yeah. And so when Adam went to, um, when Adam went to rehab, he, I remember, I, I believe he's told his testimony, but he felt a, a strong desire to go somewhere that was a Christian base. Yeah. And I do believe that him knowing the truth from a young age, knowing what really is going to turn his life around is really turning to God. I think that that was his decision to go there. And I had no part of it. I was living at my parents' house. Um, as a late twenties yeah. <laughs> and I had no part of his decision, but let me just tell you one of the most pinnacle times in my life, life changing times in my life was, I believe it was the day before he went into his rehab and to spring to life. Yeah. And which is so funny. Um, but the day before he went into rehab, There is an image in my mind of me being at my parents' house. I'm not communicating with Adam at this point. And I am in the bedroom with my dog. Yeah. Who's still alive, Miss Lily. Yeah, she's she's still here. And um, just me and my dog in the room by myself in in a darker in a darker room and I'm on my knees, completely, totally surrendered Mm. to whatever God's will is for my life. Yeah. And I can honestly say I've never felt so broken, but totally surrendered in that moment. Yeah. And it's such a picture of my life of, of, or that stage of my life. And it's a good reminder for everybody to have that moment. Yeah, I remember you talking about it just so vividly. Yeah. And you've even said the word, the closest that you've ever been to God. It was. Like you were just real with him. God, yeah, you were just crying Crying out, out, crying out. And so I thought for our 10-year anniversary was last month, and 
I've never, I've just heard her describe this so vividly. And I just thought, you know what, 10 year anniversary, Adam, you need to be romantic. Uh, and I just, I've always heard her talk about this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment. And from her memory and her discussion, I, I got with, a, a painter, an artist and just kind of described that moment and was able to paint that picture and give it to you for our 10 year anniversary. So, and it was amazing and it was so beautiful. And the picture I've named it total surrender mm, and it's good. It it was it was it was amazing. So anyway, that was my the part in my life where everything changed. And Adam, you know, he was doing his thing at Spring to Life, and I was doing my thing back in Knoxville. And yeah, so those who don't know, Spring to Life—that's what S two L stands for. Spring to Life. So S two L Recovery, Spring to Life. We, I still call it that all the time, and it's just S2L recovery, but that's spring to life. And the long story short, because, like, Katie, I want to get to something here, and, and we're running, about to run out of time, and I want to make sure we give it some time. But long story short, go back to episode one. I tell our, our testimony, but Katie was done. I, I honestly was expecting divorce papers in the mail. Every time mail call happened at S2L, as a student, I was just dreading, don't be, don't call my name, don't call my name, because I honestly thought you were divorcing me. And long story short, and I'm, this is a flyby, go listen to episode one, but God started restoring our marriage. Just yeah. like we both had that moment of total surrender. And it might even have been, see, I don't yeah. think it was this the night before. I think right. it was maybe a month in. No, this was a different time. That was the night before. But then there was a different time when I was specifically driving down the road. Oh, I think yeah. it was on That's Kingston right. Pike. Yeah. And this is what you're talking about, but... I was driving down the road on Kingston Pike, and I said, I was praying out loud, and I said, okay, God, if you choose, because at this point, we had started communication. Right, which for a month, I didn't even hear from you. Yeah, well, you know, this is the deal. Okay, this is the deal. I believe strongly. I minister to some women. I, you know, I've written my story, and there's things that I believe for self-care um, when you have a loved one going through an addiction yeah. that you need to take care of. And for me, that was self-care. Yeah. What that looked like was getting professional Christian counseling, mm. somebody who's non-biased. Because, so important. So important. And for me, that was at least once a week going to see somebody. And um, it was getting your hair done and your nails done and pampering yourself because for so long you're so focused on your loved one mm. and trying to save something. It's a good point. I mean, you have to practice self-care. Um, going out, hanging out with friends. I had the best friends throughout all of this. Even some of the people that Adam hurt the most mm. took me in and loved on me. And I'll never um, forget that. And yeah. um, some of my other best friends just took me in and loved on me. And that was just important for me to heal yeah. without Adam. And But I knew after about a month or two, we started communicating again, just kind of checking in with them. And at that point, I knew I was going to give him a second chance. Yeah, um, I wanted him. He was at a different kind of rehab. It was a Christian, Christ-led rehab. And wanted to see where this went. And I remember, and this is getting back to what you were just talking about. Yeah. I was driving on the road, Kingston Pike in Knoxville, Tennessee. Go Vols. Yeah. And so we were, I was by myself and I was praying. I was praying to um, God and I was like, God, 
this is the deal. If you choose to save my marriage, I choose to totally follow you, totally surrender to you and follow you, serve you. And that's, and that's my, that's my plea to you. But Lord, if you choose not to save my marriage, I choose to follow you. I totally surrender to you and your will. Mm. And so that was a pivotal moment to me. And I have no doubt because Adam told me that he prayed the same thing. As we look back at our story and stuff, it was pretty recent after we got out. And and we we narrowed it down to where we think it might have been the same day. I just remember saying, God, if those divorce papers come or if they don't, I'm dedicated to you. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal for me, for, for people, because it was like, it was like, one of my main focuses was you and saving my marriage. And I mean, you were my high school sweetheart, right? And that's so natural. Yeah. I mean, that's natural feeling. And for but... me and you both to say, God, if you save our marriage or not, you're our prize. You're, you're our focus. You're who we're going to serve and seek and chase hard after. And so God began to restore our marriage. And just long story short, God called me. Uh, I felt like I was called to stay at S2L. Everything I knew was in Knoxville. Uh, S2L, if you don't know, is in Middle Tennessee around the Nashville area. And so I did the generic, all right, hey, you know, Kate, let me, let me talk to Katie. We were on good terms at this point, seven months in. Uh, good terms. And so, hey, let me call my wife. We're going to pray about it, quote unquote, right? The church answer. Hey, we'll pray. Give me, but, give me three days. Yeah, give us three days. We're going to pray. We're just going to pray about it, right? And, and knowing in the back of my mind, Everything I know is in Knoxville. Any opportunity for a job. And by the way, they weren't offering me a job that paid. You know, it was 50 <laughs> bucks a week. And, you know, and I was, I would have to have moved my wife down because long distance wouldn't work. So we did. We prayed about it. And like the second day or something like that of praying about it, Katie's boss comes to her, offers her a different job that would be a promotion, more money. And the only, the only thing, the only catch to that was in order to take this promotion, she'd have to move to Middle Tennessee, to Nashville area to take it. And it's just like, oh, wow. Okay, God, we see what you're doing here. And so moved here. Thanks. I mean, Katie and I are closer than we've ever been. Uh, 10 years of marriage and we're closer than we were just like little high school lovebirds, sweethearts that it was just like, she could do no wrong. I could do no wrong. And now it's like her, it's like her faults is what I'm in love with. You know, it's like you're, it's like you're, the things that no one else knows, but just you yeah. and me. It's what I love. And so we're closer. God's blessed us with two beautiful children. And that's not everyone's story though, but that is yeah. our story. Yeah. And we're going to proclaim it because the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But all of that to say, I want to get to this and we're running a little, little, we're cutting it close. Katie, people are dying to know wives, girlfriends, mothers, fathers, sons, the loved one who's not in the addiction. Katie, like you said earlier, you, you help a lot of women, you counsel with them, you just minister to them, you love on them. God's called you to do some things in this space probably, but what would you say in, in like a two minute spill, what would you say for encouragement for just, what would you say to the wife? And I know that specifically you have a heart for wives, right? Yeah. For the wives of the guy going in. But what would you just say? A two-minute spill is the hope, the encouragement, the boundaries. What would you say? Wow. Two, yeah. two minutes. Not to put you on the spot. And, no. And only give you two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So like Adam said, you know, 
it's not everybody's story. Yeah. It's sometimes unfortunate that it doesn't work out, but this is the thing. I think God honors, I think, you know, there's a, there's something that's repeated over and over in our story about totally surrendering. Yeah, that's right. And I think that for me as an encouragement to you, loved one, is to really see if you are totally surrendered Mm. and whatever that looks like. And for me, it was, you know, being able to give up my marriage to ultimately see what God had for me. And, you know, what God had for me is a healed marriage that we minister to other people yeah. Because of our brokenness and because of our past, you know, testimony. Yeah. And and you know it's interesting. The the total surrender for most in this space, if, if and, and we and, and as you know, you we this is our twenty third episode, so you know all about life after addiction, where biblical worldview yeah. um what that's going to look like, just from my perspective and all these families I've talked with and I've worked with and I've tried to love on, that total surrender in the language, in the addiction recovery world language, that would eliminate enabling. It would yeah. eliminate people in enabling their kids, yeah. which is so tough. It's so hard. But, yeah. I mean, that total surrender to God being sovereign and knowing and trusting Him would eliminate the enabling factor. Yeah, for me, you know— that total surrender went against everything I wanted to do. Yeah. And that was giving you up, you mm-hmm. know, and letting you go. And so, you know, I love Adam and I loved him even at that moment. is the love of my life, but I, I didn't recognize him anymore. And so I gave him over to God and said, you do what you need to do. And you tell me if I need to stay. (laughs) So for you listening, um, whether it be your husband, your wife, your your parent, kids, whoever it is going through the addiction, my encouragement to you is just release it Mm. as best you can and focus on yourself and focus on your relationship with the Lord. That's it. That's it. Because if you don't, and you continue to focus on your loved one that's addicted, there will never be healing. Yeah. There yeah. won't because won't you're be. so consumed with, and they might be going through rehab. Maybe they're going through S2L or maybe they're going through another rehab and you're listening to this. And, but I think I personally went through my own kind of rehab while he was going through rehab. Yeah. So this is your opportunity while they're in whatever rehab they are in for you to self care yeah. and go through that rehab yourself. Yeah. And absolutely. And, and what's so neat, what's so neat about this story is I, I've seen you minister and I see you speak truths. And one of the things that I hear you say often um, that I think needs to be said um, is just you, you encourage people for boundaries uh, but also to do the hard thing, yeah. And 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 actually, the hard thing is what is the loving thing. 
Yeah. That's what, that's what, that's what the loving thing to do is, is really hard. Oh gosh. Saying yeah. no, uh, because I knew what to say to, to twist things and to stab at you and to, 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 to hurt you the most. I knew the words to say that would hurt you the most. And you had to stand strong and do something so hard so often. And so here, here's what I want you guys to know. Um, uh, Katie, Katie's felt called. She's in the process of, writing a book again we we we're this isn't a plug for a book because it doesn't even have a title and she's probably only got like you know however many pages written and this wasn't planned we came out here and it was just like man all right god we're going to be obedient and we hope this has helped um yeah. you can email us info at s2lrecovery.org which is not the right email address it's info at spring the number two life.net which you'll hear at the end of the podcast <laughs> We have fun. Uh, <laughs> but email us a question. Katie would love to answer it. And, and Katie, some, some places, some different organizations has asked Katie to come and speak, give her testimony, a word of hope. Guys, there is life after addiction and there is restoration and there is hope. And uh, thank you for this time. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Love you guys. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.